0: This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists, and why they do what they do. On this edition of the Paltrocast, I spoke with three great entertainers with cool new projects to talk about. Danny Trejo, Damon Waynes Jr., and Jason Schiff. First up is my chat with Danny Trejo. You've definitely seen Danny Trejo in a lot of TV and film projects. But the popular actors reinvented himself as an entrepreneur in recent years he's a growing restaurant empire including multiple trejo's tacos locations and a new record label trejo music i spoke with danny by phone in june 2019 about these projects and also former cast guest diamond dallas page everyone knows who you are everyone can recognize you in my opinion for the film and the TV work. But if we were talking five years ago, I'd be interviewing you about the film and the TV. But now you've got this growing restaurant empire, and then you have a new record company. When did you realize, yeah. hey, I can branch out, I can be more than a famous actor?
1: The only good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. I got into the record business. Uh-huh. It was funny, because I, I, I met this, this uh, mom... She was living in a battered woman shelter, you know. Uh, her and her daughter had hitchhiked from Los Angeles to Santa Clarita for this contest that we put on because it was a it was a fundraiser for a little kid that we got killed about five years ago up in Santa Clarita. His mom and his and I guess his stepdad or boyfriend killed it, you know. And it was a real tragic kind of deal. And in fact, they had a big. Uh, a big issue out at the child's welfare behind yeah, this little kid because they've been called out so many times and never did anything right so so we're doing this fundraiser this little girl shows up with her mom starts singing and and was amazing you know and so we started just talking to her and she wanted to be a singer and, and her mom you know did not understand the mexican lady she didn't understand she was just take her around to sing. And so she said, she's looking for a manager. I said, she can't, she's uh you know, she's an online so comes under the Jackie Coogan law. You're the manager. you know, the mom's the manager. Right. So I said, you know what, let's, let's, let's see how we can work with you. So we started this record company, me and, and this other rapper, right. that was going to help me. And, uh, you know, we worked with her and worked with her and, and worked with her and, and uh I spent I guess about hundred and fifty grand on this rapper, you know, and then then he left, you know, so I uh god I kinda got uh disillusioned on the rap game. But 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 in the in the in the interim I, I met another singer called Tara New. She came in and we started all all three of us started this uh this record company and then My first little singer, she started using drugs, so I put her into rehab. My business partner, he left, so Kara, the other singer, she kind of was brokenhearted and just said, I I guess that's it, my dream's over, because she always dreamt of, of, you know, doing music, and I said, nah, let me figure out something, don't worry, so, so, you know, I kind of said my prayers, and ended up running into baby bash who moved out here from, uh, Houston. And bash, I'd known bash since he was 17 years old. And, and so he kind of said, Hey, what are you doing? I told him and he said, well, she didn't do this then. So he got me with Edub, who I do from Pocos Pero Locos. And, and, uh, six months later, we're dropping an album unbelievable artist we got tara new my singer and uh we, we put her in and it's it's an amazing album you got to hear it it's kind of a throwback to the art labose era where it's uh it's actually sounds like a radio station i'm like hey this is danny Trail and you're listening to uh chicano soul shop and and here's a here's a, a good one for all you guys go to the parole board and it's like uh you know, it just it just goes on. Every song has a has a an intro.
0: With your introduction to music, did you start off as a rock and roll guy, and you evolved, or did you start off with Chicano music, or what was your introduction?
1: No, well, I started. You know, music. I mean, I go all the way back to night out <laughs> my uncle. I can remember the first party I went to with my uncle. I was about eleven years old, and uh, everybody there was like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and and uh, I. Uh, I can remember wearing this huge oversized sport coat <laughs> and, and because everybody who wears sport coats in the '50s, and, uh, I remember the song night owl, you know, and go, so it goes way back. I slow dance, did the grind and, and then did the swing and, but yeah, my music just goes way back. I, I love, I love everything. My son had a band called, uh, uh, the dead Reagan tour. And, you know, it was that, that kind of music that you kind of, like, scream, turn that shit down. You know, that, that and, uh But, you know, it's like I used to... We bought a bus, and we'd go... I went on tour. I took him on tour with his band and his bus all over California.
0: As somebody who's obviously can handle himself very well within the film and television worlds. Are you able to handle yourself well within the music world? Do those skills kind of transfer? Anybody can handle themselves if they're surrounded with great people. And I I always, the good Lord always put me
1: in touch with, with, with great people. I mean, I started the restaurant business with one of the producers of a movie called Badass. Ash and Jeff, you know, Ash, Ash Shaw is his name. And Jeff, we started Trejo's Tacos. And, you know, it's like, those guys are geniuses. Now, if it wasn't for their uh, genius uh, at the restaurant business, because they said, hey, we got this idea, you know. In fact, they, I was uh, doing that movie Badass, and Ash noticed that I like to eat good food. I don't like, I don't like, fast food and I don't like, you know, uh, fried food. I, I like good food. So he just kind of said, well, daddy wants to start a, a, a restaurant. So me, I just kind of said host tacos. And because me and my mom, my mom always wanted to start a restaurant. She's a great cook. But my dad in the fifties, he was kind of like the Mexican Archie bunker. Every time we talked about a restaurant, my dad would go, Hey, I got an old in there, right there. You go cook whatever the hell you want. Okay, you just cook your ass off. It was like so funny. So every time I wanted to piss him off, I'd make up a a menu. <laughs> hey, check this out, Dad. What do you think? I think hey, you're full of shit. <laughs> so, but we had, you know, so so we never she never got to cook a restaurant. So when he said that, he brought me a business plan. We did badass, badass, two badass on the bayou when we were on. We were in, in New Orleans. He brought me a business plan, and of course, me being the brilliant businessman that I am, I gave it to my agent. You know, I didn't read. I gave it to my, agent, my secretary. That ADD, I read two sentences and I'm done. If nobody got killed, they uh, they read it. They just kind of said, "Hey, this is a, you know, this isn't a bad deal for you." You know, you, people usually come at me and say, "Hey, look, we're going to do this, but we need fifty grand." You know?
0: Seeing how fast Trejo's Tacos. Has grown, and then seeing yeah. how this this uh, first release that you have through your music company is Chicano Soul Shop Volume One. Yeah. Does that mean that you have Volume yeah. Two, Three, and Four already thought about? Oh yeah, we already got it. we already got Volume Two in the mix. You know, it's just about
1: done because it's just like we've gotten so many. Uh, the minute we started it, I mean, come on, BB Bass is like he's amazing, right? Sugar, sugar, how you get so fun. I still remember. That. I love that song and and like a hurricane and all the stuff he's done. And so he's got a great following. E dub has been doing this for twenty years, you know. And uh he they him and him and Kool Aid did Pocos Pedrocos, which was huge, you know. So so they've got a following. I've got a following. So I think, you know, we we've we've gotten a lot my agent has already gotten like about hundred and fifty uh applications to people that wanna be on the on volume two. You know, we almost got volume two done
0: being able to to succeed in these last few years in the food space and the record label space do you now start thinking hey there's other fields that I can do or is all this just enough for you
1: well i'm just i just got back from argentina i did a uh, i did a, a movie down there called a shadow of the cat and it was awesome cuz i had I to do the whole thing in spanish you know <laughs> so cuz that's part of my my range too you know what i mean but i did the whole thing in spanish and uh, and I really enjoyed that. My son just directed me in a movie called From a Son. It's the most tragically beautiful story you've ever seen. You know, because the biggest problem with drug... It's a drug movie, right? And the biggest problem with drug movies is they always get these huge stars. And what that does... It's like Julia Roberts, greatest one of the greatest female actors, unbelievable actress, absolutely gorgeous. But when she does a movie... If they try to make a movie about a message, it gets lost because she is so dynamic and so great. And me, it's like, I'm a worker bee, okay? I'm not a, I'm a worker bee. I work. And so, you he my son said, Dad, will you star in this for me? I go, yeah, of course I will, man. So, I might win an award for this movie, and I think get pay. But, uh, <laughs> don't ever work for your son. But uh, he directed me, and it was just, Beautiful, beautiful. I think that's the first time you're ever gonna see me cry in a movie.
0: Wow, that is a that's a breakthrough. When you when you said the word shadow, I thought you were gonna be talking about your recent cameo on the show, What We Do in the Shadows, which was fantastic.
1: Hey, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was like it was kinda of like it was just so 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 weird. So it was like, and and then being my I can remember my son giving me direction and me look saying, Hey, I used to whisper, Hey, I used to put you on timeouts You those know, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dan. <laughs> so we did. We did really great. So, so I'm basically. I'm just. I'm waiting for his next movie. I want to do his next movie with it You know, I told let's do a western.
0: Wow. Well, I hope that happens. And uh, uh, two more questions, if you don't mind. Anything you want. Is it true, as the first question, that you are the inventor of the diamond cutter? <laughs> Absolutely. And you tell DDP, I taught him that.
1: <laughs> God, I remember I she did that with him. Hey, I invented it. She goes, shut up. <laughs> I love oh, I love Diamond Dallas Bay. Listen, you know what's so funny? That guy, he does yoga. He know the only of that can still walk.
0: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so uh, in closing, any last words for the kids, Danny? Hey.
1: You know what, shoot for the moon. I'd rather shoot for the moon and miss
0: than aim for the gutter and make it. Next up is my chat with the actor and comedian Damon Waynes Jr. An exciting newish project of Damon's is the Special Guest platform, which he launched with entrepreneur Chris Jones. Special Guest lets everyday people book entertainers for their parties and establishments. I kept the focus of our conversation on Special Guests. Although I was able to throw in a few Wayne's family related questions for good measure. So I first want to know if this is the first time that you've ever lent your name to an app, or had you been involved with other uh, tech things before?
2: No, no, man. This is my first uh, first and only. Well, oh, so far only. Definitely
0: my first. It's my baby. You
2: know. I, I, I thought of the idea, I ran it by my co-founder, and we built it
0: into something that uh, actually works. And how did your co-founder and you uh, meet in the first place? Did you know Chris from being a tech guy? I didn't know Chris, but um, I have a mutual friend. He and I share a mutual friend, um,
2: and she introduced us to each other. He had worked uh, with her on an app, and then I I told her this idea that I had, and she was like, you should talk to uh, Chris Jones. And so I talked to them, and, and we kind of went back and forth with the idea and just built it out, beefed it up. And, and here we are. I mean, it took, uh, I would say about a year to like, f- to get it fully functioning. And then about another year to like, start, you know, getting people on board. And then, uh, you know, it's just kind of been, uh, we've been using each year to like tackle uh, different aspects of the app. You know, first it was, um, the, uh, the talent that we we're getting on board and then uh last year and, and this year so far it's been uh,
0: venues and and customers people using the talent that we have that we've gotten on board now you do have a lot of famous investors beyond yourself involved with the app who was the first one to come on board oh wow
2: first one to come on board
0: Ooh i think it was my uncle marlon and did he do? The, he did the show, right? Hey, good memory. Yeah, he was on this podcast yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah,
2: yeah. So him, it was it was him. We we pitched to him, I think,
0: first uh, as a unit, and then yeah, he he came aboard. Well, do you remember the first known entertainer that was on board with the app that was really behind it as somebody that could be booked? Somebody could be booked.
2: Uh, yours truly. Uh, that was. <laughs> I hopped on first. I was, I was definitely bookable. Uh, I think Marlon came aboard, too. He he did a couple shows through the app. It's been a very collaborative, uh, very uh,
0: positive effort uh, from all fronts. I love the idea of the app, but I have to imagine that there's a lot of people in the industry who might be afraid of it because it's eliminating artist commissions in a way. Did you have any detractors on that end?
2: You know, you know the the interesting thing about Technology and and kind of how I'm using this app is I don't necessarily want to take away from the people that uh, you know make their living uh, you know uh, being agents and managers. These are for people who don't have that. These are, these are for the the eighty percent of the industry or of entertainers that don't have representation. So this is servicing them. And um, you know if. If agencies decide, you know, to get on board later on, to come aboard our app and kind of use the people that are, like, lower on their roster who aren't getting as much work as, you know, the people at the top of their roster, then we would definitely be there to be a helping hand, you know. But to answer your question, no, we, we're, we're not trying to step on any toes. And, and I think that the, the industry knows that. That's why they're not, like, you know,
0: trying to destroy us. And then you mentioned that you're constantly tweaking new features to the app. Do you ever Absolutely. see the, the possibility of being able to sell merchandise or other, you know, things beyond the live experience within the app?
2: Uh, yeah, we've actually had a couple of uh, discussions about that. Um, uh, I don't know how much I'm supposed to say, but yeah, it's definitely uh, uh, an area we're moving into, um, especially with the people that are finding a lot of success on the app. You know, there's a couple of people up on there who've had like 100 plus
0: bookings in like the past year or so. It's been kind of uh, life changing for a lot of people. And then beyond the app, do you have any other current projects that you're allowed to talk about or like to promote in general? Uh, Beyond the app,
2: I, you know, I have a a production company over at CBS that uh, actually, interestingly enough, going back to the app, we're developing a a show uh, based on the special guest app. Um, and uh, CBS is really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. So is Chris, and that's going to be a really, really big, uh, big help, big push um, for what we're trying to do uh, with the app, and you know, with, with the whole idea of appreciating the artists and, and booking artists and and helping them to uh, fulfill their dreams, you know, regardless of representation or not.
0: And as somebody who's been very busy for about 15 years now with a a variety of different projects on TV, film, and other stuff, is there something that you're most proud of at this point? Because it sounds like to me that this is kind of like the thing to hang your hat on. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely
2: uh, enjoying this ride. You know, I'm the kind of guy that likes to learn a lot. And so uh, this is my first time in this industry, in the tech industry, and I'm learning so much. And that is a lot of, of, of the joy that I get is, is how much I'm learning and how much I'm able to kind of take from the tech industry and apply to the business aspect of my entertainment industry. Um, so, you know, one is helping the other. And, um, yeah, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I would not say that this is probably tied with all my other endeavors. You know, so I love, I love stand-up. I love acting. I love writing. And I love, uh, building this, this dream of mine, uh, a special guest.
0: But ultimately, you know, coming from the legendary family that you do, it's kind of weird in a way that there's so many successful entrepreneurs in the digital space at this point. So when you're <laughs> at a family gathering, does that ever come up or do people just not want to talk shop at all?
2: <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, we, we talk shop, you know, if somebody has an idea, um, and they want feedback, they'll, you know, throw it out there and people just build on it. And you just got to be careful with how much you put out there because somebody will go make a movie and you're like, wait a minute, I was just spitballing with you. And, and now it's a movie of yours, but it's all, you know, it's, it's a, everything's a collaborative effort in our family. We are constantly hanging out. It's kind of like a hive mind in a way. Yeah, definitely. We definitely talk shop but we also definitely like to laugh. We we do that the majority of the time. Shop comes second.
0: Shop comes second. So in closing, uh, any last words for the kids?
2: Any last words for the kids? Uh, stay in school, unless you don't like it, then leave.
0: <laughs> last but not least is my interview with Jason Chef. Jason was the bassist and one of the lead vocalists of the band Chicago for over 30 years. This fall, along with Todd Rundgren, Monkey singer Mickey Dolans, Bad Fingers' Joey Molland, and Christopher Cross, Chef will be part of the It Was 50 Years Ago Today Tour, where the all-star band will be playing the Beatles' White Album, along with some of their own hits. We talked about this upcoming tour, Jason's time with Chicago, other projects of his, his commitment to recovery, and even the hard rock band known as Rat. This was one of my favorite interview experiences of the past few years, to say the least. Hey, Darren, what's happening? All good here, and yourself? Oh, doing great, thank you. First and foremost, it was 50 years ago today. When did you know that you were first booked for the tour?
3: Well, Toby, one of the producers of this this, uh, tour, had reached out to me, gosh, I want to say a couple months ago. Well, maybe a little longer than that and had uh, talked about this and it sounded like a great a great thing to do. We pretty much decided to, to do it, I would say a couple of months ago. Yeah, probably a couple of months ago.
0: Now, I'm not asking you for spoilers of what is Jason going to sing, but do you know in terms of the set list, these are the songs that you're singing already? Has the show been worked out?
3: We've gotten to the stage of all five guys have put in what they'd like to sing we're narrowing it down Um, obviously my voice uh, is I can do a lot of different things but what people who know me know me by is really a ballad singer uh, with maybe a softer voice although I I can do all kinds of other stuff so I think Christopher Cross and I may uh, have chosen the same songs that we'd like to do however He's got such a unique sound that, um, that I've, I've told Joey, who's the musical director, I said, here's the way I want to approach it. I'll tell you all the stuff that, I, that resonates when I, I look at the song titles and listen to them. But in no way am I saying, I got to do this, man. <laughs> so... Um, just let everybody else know that, uh, that I'm not making a statement that I need to do this or that. So if, uh, if Christopher wants uh, certain songs, I, you know, uh, I, I defer to, you know, you have that. Go ahead.
0: Now, did you know all these songs before the tour? Did you know a lot of them? I'm curious about that part.
3: Uh, I knew a lot of them. I know a lot of them, but some of them I, I had to brush up on. But what's really cool is it's so diverse. You know, what I grew up on, my, well, I guess you might call like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band a record that is just so revolutionary for a lot of people. And I think a lot of the reason is the diversity of the album. My Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album for me is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I'm 57, and so my generation is uh, is that when Goodbye Yellow Brick Road came out that's my Sergeant Pepper's um, album so when I heard when I went back and revisited the White Album what I love so much is the diversity of the styles you know it's not nowadays you hear records that come out and and it's just a lot of the same a lot of the same um, sounds genre but back when Everybody, back when these guys made these records, uh, with, with this journey, you know, going across all these styles, and it's a listening experience. You put the, put the album on and it takes you through a total uh, journey and experience. So I'm, that's what I'm really excited about.
0: And of course, somebody who's been following you for decades know that you spent over 30 years touring the biggest stages in the world and all that kind of stuff. But then other people who digged a bit deeper would know that you did a lot of one-offs you had the album sean C, you popped up on duets but my favorite project that you worked on was probably the leo record is that one that you get a lot of feedback on
3: i wouldn't say a lot of feedback but as far as really having cred you're absolutely right and i'll give you a quick little story about that blue one of the main guys who put that project together. I met through John fields, who's a great record producer and consequently one of the biggest Todd Rundgren freaks in the world. I find this so funny because fields is a, is a huge record producer. If you see the, the Jonas brothers uh, movie that just came out, John's in it because he produced all of their records, but John is a, a again, a diverse uh, artist and record producer. He produced, the Switchfoot record that put, uh, you know, that, that really got everybody exposed to that music. Great rock producer too. Well, he's a huge Todd Rundgren freak fan. Like me, it, that's my Elton again. Elton John is my guy. I talked to, to, uh, to John about an hour the other day about this because, you know, he's just flipping out that I'm going to be working with his hero. But one of the artists that John produced is Blue, And Blue and I became friends because the guy's just so wickedly talented. Obviously, you know that if you know about this record. Yes. Blue and I got together in in Vegas, and it was the most—it was the craziest uh, conversation and and revelation of what was going on in the music business and artists. Because Blue is the next generation back; he's he's probably about ten years younger than me. So he was telling me this story of how he became an artist and how he had, you know, songs that got into movies. Um, He's, he got songs cut by the Jonas brothers through John fields. And he was telling me the nightmare of how it was all playing out, that there was no industry left. Records weren't selling Um, as an artist. They didn't know what to do with him again. He's diverse. So they, they didn't know what, you know, how to pigeonhole him. And I'm telling you, he left Vegas because we were performing. Chicago was out in Vegas and he came to hang with me and write with me for a few days. And I I literally got the feeling that I was looking at a guy who was on his way out of the business. It was kind of like, what's the point anymore? I'm so in the red with my publishing deals, my, my record deals and everything. It's like, there's no, it almost, I mean, he wasn't saying this, but I was taking it this way. It's futile. There's no way back. I'm dug in too far. So I'm literally thinking one of the most brilliant artists on the planet is on his way out. And, and I'm thinking how sad. And I, I even told him, I said, if you were around 20 years ago, you'd own the world. 20 years ago, you would have hit records, be making a ton of money. And it's just, it's just sad that the timing of it is this. So anyway, we end up, you know, uh, he goes, goes home and, I get a call, probably two weeks later, and he says, "Hey man, you want to do some backies on this record that I'm doing called Leo? It's a, it's basically a tribute to ELO, but we're not re-recording their songs. We're writing songs in that style." And I went, "Absolutely! Are you kidding me? Because that's a lot of what I do—big background vocal thing. Which, when you look at Todd Rundgren, that's exactly what he does. It's very similar, right?" And so I'm going, absolutely. And he goes, there's no money, but we just all want to do this. And I think Zach Hansen was, was in on it. One of the guys from Jellyfish, Mike Viola, just this incredible, eclectic group of, of the most talented guys in the world. And a light bulb went on for me right then. You can't keep an artist down. They, they have to create. So I'm going, this guy's like almost out of the business. What else is he going to do? Right? So I'm going, this is inspiring. Tough it out. We'll figure out how to monetize this. But you can't keep the artists down. And again, that's one of the things that I love about being involved in this White Album thing is that Todd Rundgren is one of the originals. of Sorry, I have to make music. I'm going to do it my way. And that's it. So the LEO album, I love that you brought that out because that was not only an incredible project to, to work on, it was, it was the beginning of, of me looking at the future and the rest of my life of what I was going to ultimately be doing musically. Because as you've said, I've had the most incredible career, you know, spanning over four decades with Chicago. And now I get to do all these awesome things, you know.
0: Right. And I heard a rumor connected to Elio that you almost mm-hmm. had a bam with Blue and Mike Viola called the Major Labels, which they did ultimately with a guy from uh, the Boston area.
3: Well, they'd never asked me to be in it. Um, maybe they were t- thinking of it and talking about it. But again, you know, I was so busy at the time. We were just, you know, constantly gone, you know, on tour constantly. So there was no time to be able to do something like that. But I always love hearing that people like that are talking about me and going, Hey, let's get him <laughs> just like this white album thing. When I heard, you know, uh, Toby, who's, uh, Christopher Cross's manager called me about this. And I said, I said, I love this because, um, you know, I, I, I dig all the, the people you're talking about. And I've actually worked a little bit with Christopher. Christopher was on a bill with, with us Chicago. Um, so I've run into him out touring and I played bass on a track on one of his solo records and Toby made me feel really good. Oh yeah he goes I talked to Chris and uh and told him that you know we were talking about you and Christopher said, Well that's a that's a real musician and a real nice guy. I said, Well, I love it. Sounds like we got a a good little thing in the making here.
0: Well on the other side of the musical spectrum, is it true that you grew up or at least cut your musical teeth playing with members of rat?
3: I didn't play with them, although in San Diego, I was 15 years old, and I joined a band called Cocoa Blue. And that was, like, that was one of the, the best uh, top 40 bands in the city. And it was really my first experience of being in a band that, that went around and played against rival bands, and we held our own. Um, we played this Del Mar uh, fair dance, uh, yeah, like a dance uh, and opened for a group called listen, who was the group at the time they, and we were all, these guys are real. They got their own lights and everything. man. And uh, so when we were in that circuit, one of the other bands that was, that was uh, around was a group that I can't remember their original name, you know, it might've been some real, <laughs> real, uh, a creative name that everybody else used, Excalibur or something, <laughs> you know. But eventually, uh, I'd, I'd heard of this band, and they were called Mickey Rat, and they were a rival band. But I ran into Rob Crosby, who ended that, You know, his name. They he was calling himself Robin Crosby by the time Rat really uh, broke. But Rob, I'll never forget him. Big, tall. You know, rock star looking guy even back then, but always super sweet. Never posing. Never, you know, tr- trying to be this aloof guy. Rob was always solid, and all of a sudden they went to L.A. and they became Rat. They tore it up, and I ran into Rob after they had had they had made it, and that's when you can usually tell. And he was the same guy, just super sweet cool we were just talking about being San Diegans that you know that had come up to LA and and had some success and unfortunately for Rob you know getting um just kind of caught up into the the wrong things in in LA and the business uh you know he had an early demise but yeah, so I I never really worked with them, but they were a rival band.
0: Ultimately, you know, looking ahead past that, it was 50 years ago Today Tour. Do you know other projects that you're working on? Do you have other things that you're looking forward to?
3: Absolutely. I've been working on on a solo project with Jay DeMarcus of Rascal Flats. Jay's the bass player and really one of the driving forces, if not, you know, I would say probably the leader of the band. And he produced Chicago 30, which we made in, I think, 2006-ish or seven or something like that. And Jay has always been one of my biggest champions. He's Again, he's, he's the next generation past me. He's 10 years younger than me. And we played a gig together. Uh, or not together, but we played a, a gig two days after they played at the Washington State Fair in 20, in 2003 he left a, a letter to me and it was that moment when I realized that I had my own part of the the legacy of influencing younger generations and I got a beautiful letter from Jay saying Chicago made me want to be a musician and I've followed your part of the career because of course he he said when he started making music hard to say I'm sorry and Chicago 17 was what lit him up and then when Peter Soterra left, he said, I was crushed because I thought the band was over. And then as the story goes, he says, when the video for Will You Still Love Me came on MTV, he ran into the next room and said, Mom, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. They found the guy. So Jay's been one of my biggest champions. We've written a ton of songs together. Like I said, those songs became the catalyst to make Chicago 30, which had been the first album we uh, recorded in 16 years, um, had a duet with Rascal flats that I co-wrote. And, uh, so right after that, Jay was saying, let's get in and keep this going, man. Let's, let's make a record. And so we started a solo record and it's just kind of been sitting around. I just didn't have enough time until now to really talk about finishing it. So Jay's been really pushing over the last couple of years. Come on, man, let's get in. So we finished it. And it just got mastered and it's killer. It's just, you know, I've got the, the best Nashville team in the world. Derek Basin, B-A-S-O-N, uh, is he's got 62 number one singles under his belt. He um, has made most of Rascal Flat's records with them, uh, all of Carrie Underwood's records, all of Luke Bryan's records. And so that's my team. So, of course, the vocals sound amazing. And so that's done. We're going to be taking a meeting actually um, here in Nashville this week with the marketing team for a marketing strategy. So it's the timing is perfect. Being going out on this one album tour, and I've got a, a record coming out, and um, I'm also going to Asia with Arnel Panetta lead vocalist of of Journey, and Jeff Timmons, one of the vo- uh, great vocalists of 98 Degrees. The three of us are going over to, to Asia, uh, basically representing you know, that 80s and 90s era of, uh, of great love songs and ballads. So we're going to be doing some dates together. Um, we're also going to be probably recording some stuff for uh, like a holiday, holiday record. So between that, White Album, my record coming out, doing some dates with uh, Arnell and those guys over there. Did I forget anything? I don't think so.
0: So it never ends for Jason Chef. That's that's the underlying message here. <laughs> so
3: Yeah, well, you know, I've you know, 3 years ago my in-laws were ailing and that was when I was really talking to the group about being able to come home and 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 be there for my family and they were just so gracious we've always been that way, you know, Chicago has always looked out for the guys when people had family issues and stuff, uh, always accommodating. So, you know, they just graciously gave me the opportunity to come home and, and deal with this kind of stuff. And so, you know, of course, losing her parents was a real big adjustment. You know, it's one of those things where you have these relationships that are They're super solid. We've been together forever and um, have our family and, you know, she's been a a great, you know, soldier in all this. But when her parents were ailing and I saw what that was doing to her, that's when I said, I got to, I got to go get next to her. So I really was just taking some time off and not doing any music and then um, just doing some, some charity work and really seeing the impact it had on uh, on the people, you know, going to St. Jude's, literally going to the facility in Memphis and seeing the kids in their red wagons, and and it really stirred me, and so I said, let me just get out and do you know some limited stuff so that I don't have to be away from my wife and uh, and kids for too long, and uh, and then all of a sudden all this this other stuff starts bubbling up, and so mm-hmm. I love it, yeah, uh, it does not end for me.
0: So in closing, speaking of endings, any last words for the kids?
3: Any last words for the kids? I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's pretty heavy. I lost a son about four months ago, my stepson. So coming home to be with my family, I had no idea that it was going to be even heavier than losing, um, losing, uh, just in-laws. But And we lost him to an accidental drug overdose. And I myself am recovering 32 years, clean and sober. What I want to tell kids is when I found music, really at about six years old, seven years old, and I was, yeah, I was starting to play it, piano, um, but I found something that was the answer. It was the medicine, the real medicine. When I started seeing the impact that had of playing it for people, which is sharing it and seeing the goodness that it put out there. I knew super early on in my life where I was going, which means I wasn't floundering around trying to figure out who and what I was going to do. I still struggled with, with drugs and substance for quite a while until I was 24 years old. But having that initial seed planted now I know that a lot of my future has to do with getting the message to kids because what's going on out there is Russian roulette, and I am, per, I am an example of what happens and what that looks like. So I want to be, um, in any way that I can, a, a, a positive influence to help kids learn to find their their muse, whether it's music or not, it, whether it's listening to it, but find something that is a positive pull in the right direction and find your people. I get it. You know, we all have to navigate through this life. We, we need to stretch out experience, um, uh, uh, risk, take risks. But I'm of the mind that now I want to, I want to help kids, if you want to get a thrill, I'm, I'm going to help, I'm going to help inspire you to do something that, that, that can't take you, take you from the earth. If you want a thrill that uh, you can't buy, let's get you on stage in front of fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people with, with spotlights on you and, and that'll get your attention because, uh, we're in the middle of an epide- of, a, of a modern day scourge and uh, I want to do everything I can to help
0: get the word out there that um, I'm here for you. Thanks for listening to the Paltrocast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrocast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.